بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله ما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So this is really a continuation or a follow-up to the main lesson that you've heard and uh, from, from, the, from the reminder of Sheikh Obeid, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, and also from the speech of Sheikh Rabia and Sheikh Bin Baz. And the essence of that is that we are people of evidence, and evidence is the speech of Allah, the speech of the Messenger, and the speech of the Sahaba, right? the understanding of the Sahaba, and that is what constitutes evidence. And the acceptance of the speech of anyone is on the basis of the one who brings the strongest evidence or the most definitive evidence, right? So these are, here we are speaking about, you know, issues, knowledge-based issues and in rulings. And Sheikh Obeid gave the example, the well-known example of the one who abandons the prayer. And he explained to you how for many years he held that view of the Kufr Tariq Salah on the basis of generalized texts, generalized evidences. But when he came across these specific uh, texts, as we see also with Sheikh Rabir, then obviously they, they uh, supported that view and defended that view and saw it to be uh, closest to the truth or the truth, despite the fact that many of the great scholars of this time actually hold the other view on the basis of, of general text or general evidences. So on this basis, you know, we can't say, uh, as is done by the takfiris and the haddadiyya, you know, they accuse, they accuse the one who does not make takfir, of the one who abandons the prayer. That you are murji'a, you are expelling actions from iman. They, they, they make these accusations and, and slanders and lies against the, you know, the, the, the scholars who hold that particular view. And that's why Sheikh Kuwait himself and Sheikh Rabi and many others have gone to lengths to actually write books uh, in order to uh, defend this view and defend the scholars of the past who actually held this view. So following on from that, I wanted to illustrate exactly the same point by way of the issue of contagion, adwa, because this is also an issue where there has been differing uh, past and uh, present and uh, we know that in the ancient uh, civilizations uh, such as the, the, the Chinese and, and the, the Hindus that within their system of medicine they did not have any concept of contagion right there were many many civilizations long you know centuries or millennia gone back that in their systems of medicine the very notion of one individual transmitting you know, his illness to another individual. This does not exist in many of the ancient medical knowledge or systems of, of you know, ancient civilizations. 
And many writers or commentators or researchers, they explain that, that this notion, we find it maybe in different uh, sources or places, but one of the sources that you find it is from the Greeks, where they used to believe that a person who was ill, you know, with, with a particular illness or general illness, that this was an affliction from their gods. And this was like a curse. And that person, if he was in proximity to other people, then that affliction or that curse will also befall those other people, right? So basically, the, the, these types of notions existed among certain nations as a result of which the notion of contagion appears. And so these things were present amongst the nations, uh, you know, belief in omens, belief in superstitions, uh, making mistakes, errors in causation, right? Believing this is a cause of that when there's no evidence or there's no proof of that. And this would then affect the behavior of people, right? This would affect the behavior of people. It would make them abandon beneficial activities. It would make them exaggerate in, in fear. It would make them hold ideas and, and, and beliefs and, and fear which were unwarranted. And this has an impact upon human behavior. So the messenger of Allah came and he rectified the earth by way of Tawheed and he corrected what had crept into the nations of the earth of shirk and you know like major shirk which is idol worship and things like that and many other issues which impact the perfection of Tawheed and which harm human behavior, human conduct. And so he made numerous statements, numerous expressions, and from them is that he said, La adwa, wala wala safar, wala harm, to the end of, you know, he negated contagion, he negated omens, and similarly, when the Arabs would have these misconceptions about their camels, right? Because they used to believe in contagion amongst their camels. And so the Messenger of Rasul, on one occasion, uh, he remarked, La yu'di shay'un shay'a. La yu'di shay'un shay'a. La yu'di shay'un shay'a. Right? Nothing passes what it has to anything else. Nothing transmits what it has to anything else. So Bedouin, who's in the gathering, he is shocked and surprised to hear that because it opposes what he sees in his experience. So he stands up and he says, O Messenger of Allah, <coughs> you know, we have camels who have the most perfect of skin. And then there comes a camel which has scabies. Scabies is like an irritation of the skin, an itching of the skin. And it mixes with these other camels, and then all of them get the scabies. And so, you know, so this is now basically a remonstration. Like he's, he's finding it hard to believe what the messenger is telling him, because it opposes his, his routine experience. And the messenger of Allah, he said to him, something very simple to get into the mind of the Bedouin 
what would other what would otherwise be a very complex explanation right he said in a few simple words to convey a meaning what would otherwise be a very lengthy explanation to this bedouin who would not have the ability to understand that and i'll explain this shortly so the messenger of Allah he said to him faman aw fama so how did the very first camel how did the very first camel get this illness that you are claiming spread amongst the camels by contagion by them passing it to each other how how did the first camel get this illness when there's no other camel to allegedly pass the scabies to this camel how did that first camel get it from right so he's putting into the mind of the Bedouin that this first camel got the illness by way of uh, causes and factors that came to it and that illness was created freshly, afresh in that camel through the decree of Allah by way of a collection of causes that came to it. And so just like that camel got scabies in that way, so did all of the other camels. All the other camels were subjected to exactly the same set of circumstances which led to the illness appearing in them around the same period of time. Right? Now one of the scholars, Ibn Ta'ala, he explains that the reality of this illness of, 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 of scabies and similar things is that that these illnesses ultimately they begin from within they are issues that begin from within right they are they are they are from the liver and what the body does the body is is is, is a smart and intelligent system that whenever there is whenever for example uh, the camels suffer because of the environment right because of the climate because of um, uh, the pasture or the water which is tainted or toxic or there's some issue that's coming from the environment that then affects the internal organs or tissues or whatever it might be and the body responds and so what the body does is that it starts internally in the liver for example and then it pushes the issue out into the outer aspects of the body right so basically if it's, if it's the camels have basically not had water or the climate has affected them or the, the herbage or the grass that they're eating, there's something wrong with that, right? The body will try to restore the balance by pushing out the affected elements or the build-up of, of, of those things by pushing them out to the surface. So eventually, over time, what will happen is in certain areas of the body, there will appear like lesions or the skin will become dry and rough or it might, you know. This then attracts ticks and mites externally to then congregate on the surface in those particular areas, right? This, this we know even, you know, that in some systems of medicine, if you've got, for example, like you've got white dots in your nails or something like that, they can see that oh, there's something wrong internally. And that's simply a manifestation 
of, of that internal problem which is coming to the surface, right? And similarly, you might find, you know, itches like, especially in this region here, right, or under the legs, be, be, below the knee, or behind the ear, or certain places, because these are the other other areas where uh, things are affected first, right, right. And these are signs of something else. So what Ibn Hubayra rahimahullah is explaining is that this is too long-winded for the messenger of Allah to explain to this Bedouin. Because the Bedouin would not really grasp all of this. So the messenger gave him a simple short answer. فَمَا وَمَا أَعْدَ الْأَوَّلِ How did the first one get it then? What he's putting in the mind of the Bedouin is for him to understand that the very first camel developed this illness on account of causes, factors, circumstances that Allah brought to that camel by way of his decree and in the same way the same thing happened to all of those other camels. Right? There's no contagion happening here. That contagion is just you making a faulty interpretation of the observations. Right? Right? So the messenger conveyed this meaning and the scholars uh, the scholars who negate contagion, they say there are, there are two issues here. First of all, the Bedouin, he made the mistake of confusing coincidence with causation. Just because two things happened at the same time does not mean that one thing was the cause of the other, right? Like you see in homes, right? Two people in a house become ill with, uh, with, you know, with, with a cold or a flu, and the other people are totally fine, right? Now you can say, oh... The first one got it and he passed it to the second one. Or you can say, no, these two people are living in the same house, subject to the same conditions. Uh, they've been eating similar things. They're exposed to the same, you know, and both of them have become ill around the same time because they've been subjected to the same factors. Not that one person transmitted his illness to the other one, right? And how do you know that anyway, right? So this is where the, the mistake creeps in of confusing coincidence with causation. This is the mistake of the Bedouin that the Messenger of Allah corrected, right? And this is a mistake that we often find even in, in the sciences and the theories of, of the Kuffar. They, 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 they take correlation or coincidence and they upgrade it to, to, to a causation. Anyhow, that's the first mistake. And the second mistake is exaggerating in the issue of causation itself, right? Causation, sababiya, is complicated, it is complex, right? And for an effect to happen, there are, there are multiple elements which are involved. Sometimes they may be hidden to us as well, right? Why is it some people become ill, other people don't become ill, right? One of the factors is that some people have a sufficiently high level of the hormone vitamin D circulating in their bloodstream, right, that makes them resilient to illness, right? But we can't see. I mean, nobody has, you know, we don't have a screen on the forehead here where we can see, oh, look, 25 nanograms per milliliter of vitamin D, you're going you're to fall ill. That's why you fell ill. We don't have that, right? We can't see this. This is, this is something hidden. But this is from the factors that contribute to illness, right? So many people don't actually fall ill. 
because there are there are things that we can't see that 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 you know uh, that it wasn't decreed for them to fall ill, right? Now you can say, you know, um, you, you can make all sorts of excuses, but the point being here, illness is brought about by numerous factors that have to come together in an individual before he falls ill. This notion is contrary to the notion of contagion, right? It's a mistake in the issue of causation itself. And that's why Sheikh Al-Hafid Al-Hakami speaks about this in, in, in a good way and a, with a good explanation, as do many other scholars as well. And he absolutely negates the issue of, 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 of contagion. Anyhow, so, so there's this text, right? So I've mentioned to you the text, La Adwa. There's the text of this Bedouin. Right, now, there's also other texts which appear to contradict these texts. And this is why the difference of opinion has appeared. Right? Because the messenger of Allah, he said, flee from the leper as you would from a lion. So on the surface, this appears to be an affirmation of contagion. He also said, let not the sick camels mix with the healthy camels. Right? This also on the surface appears to be an affirmation of uh, contagion. And similarly he said, when you hear of the outbreak of a plague, then do not advance to it. And if you are in the land where the outbreak happens, then do not leave it. This also on the surface appears to be an affirmation of contagion. So the scholars looking at these texts, they've obviously come to different conclusions on the basis of, you know, there's many different views and interpretations. So some scholars, they basically held the view that the messenger negated contagion completely, that the concept doesn't really exist, and everything happens by the decree of Allah. Allah creates illness individually, in every individual separately by bringing the factors to that individual specifically, right? Whether from the general factors and also unique factors to that individual. So they hold that view. <clears throat> and other scholars say, well, no, these other texts indicate that, you know, he didn't mean negation of contagion. He just meant uh, negation of what the pagan Arabs used to believe in, that contagion happens on its own, outside of Allah's decree, you know, it happens outside of Allah's power, Allah's control, Allah's will, Allah's decree, and they used to believe it in this way. That's what the messenger was negating. He wasn't negating contagion itself, right? So some scholars basically hold that view. So this difference has been present, you know, um, you know from, uh, you know, a, a long while, and so you have scholars holding uh, different views, and in the contemporary time, most of the scholars do hold that, you know, they, 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 they affirm that there is contagion. Well, like I said, and like Sheikh Ubaid said, that this is not an argument. You can't come and say there's almost a contemporary consensus on this issue of contagion. That's not an argument. This is not what is Dalil, right? Dalil is what Allah said, what his messenger said, and what the Sahaba said. So you can't, you can't, you can't use that argument. This is, this is not an argument. And you can't bring a long list of scholars saying this, this, and this. That's not an argument. An argument 
is a Quran or a Sunnah or a statement of a Sahara. Right? So I'm going to read to you, and to keep this brief and short, one hadith, a hadith which Ibn Hajar says has the hukam of being marfu'ah, meaning it has the status of being an actual hadith ascribable to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? And so this hadith is related by Al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala and he gives the, the hadith, he gives the chapter heading of this hadith chapter on the one who sold camels which have which, 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 which suffer from a disease called heem Right, which is polydipsia, polydipsia in, in English, polydipsia, or which are ajrab, which have scabies, right? Chapter on the one who sells, on, on the ruling on selling camels which have polydipsia or scabies. This is his chapter heading for the hadith he's going to bring. So then he brings the hadith, and in this hadith, there are two men who are partners in business. And one of those men, and, and they own camels, and these camels have a disease called polydipsia, which is heme, right? And polydipsia, as Ibn Hajar, he quotes some of the uh, physicians, and he says, polydipsia is from the diseases of the camel which occur from basically you drink water in which there's moss and algae and other types of uh, growth and you know what happens is that the urine of the camel kind of smells a bit like yeast it's got like a yeasty type of uh, smell to it right and this is a sign that the camel is suffering from this illness and one of the symptoms is the camels feel feeling really thirsty and no matter what the camel drinks, its thirst doesn't disappear. It just keeps feeling thirsty, right? This is, this is a, a, a disease of thirst. And the pagan Arabs used to believe, they used to believe that whoever smells, right, the odor, the urine, the feces, or the odor of the camel, that this would be contagious, he would also get the disease. It's what the pagan Arabs used to believe, right? So this, this man, who is a partner in business to another man, he went and sold the camels to a sheikh. So then he came back to his partner, a partner called Nawas, and Nawas said, and he said, oh, I sold the camels to so-and-so sheikh. And, you know, to, to, to so-and-so sheikh. And, uh, you know, Nawas said, oh, which, which sheikh have you sold them to? And so this man, his partner said, oh, to so-and-so sheikh. And he mentioned who it was. So Nawas said, said to him, woe be to you. By Allah, that sheikh is Ibn Umar is Abdullah bin Umar. So they sold the camels to Abdullah bin Umar. So Nawas went to Ibn Umar 
And he said, my partner sold you camels suffering from polydipsia. And he didn't know who you were. Now, being very apologetic, he didn't know who you were. And so therefore, some, some discussion happened, you know, that the camels were going to be taken back and, you know, whatever. And then Ibn Umar stopped for a while. And Umar said, so, so when the man was going to take them back, Ibn Umar said, he said, leave them. Leave them. And then he said, and this now is the shahid, he said, Radina, Radina, bi qadai Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la adwa. He said, we are pleased with the judgment, the qadha of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam There is no contagion Right? So think about this, there's a lot here Right? There's many issues here The first issue is That Imam Al-Bukhari Rahimahullah Ta'ala When he gave the subject heading Right? Even though the disease was the disease of polydipsia Al-Heem Imam al-Bukhari deliberately added the word wal-ajrab next to it. Right? He deliberately added the issue of scabies to this hadith. And the reason why he did so is to make a connection between this hadith and the other hadith of the camels and scabies. Right? You know the hadith of the Bedouin I just mentioned? Right of 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 la adwa, you know la yudi shayun shayya, and the, the similar you know negation of contagion, and as Ibn Hajar explains, Al Humaydi rahimahullah from the teachers of Al Bukhari, he likewise he made in fact he narrated these two hadiths as if they were a single hadith. He narrated it from the two sons of Abdullah bin Umar, Abdullah bin Umar. He narrated from the two sons which is Salim and Hamza, right? They are the two sons of Dhabi Umar. And he narrated it through them, connecting the two as if they are a single hadith, right? So, um, uh, the point being that, um, that Ibn Hajar says here, yeah, he says here that uh, this shows the correctness of Al-Bukhari in joining the camel with scabies to the camel with polydipsia in this chapter heading because uh, it becomes clear because both of these diseases, right, the claim of contagion was made with respect to both these diseases amongst the pagan Arabs. So Al-Bukhari connected the two hadiths together, right? And so he says what strengthens this is that the hadith uh, the, with this interpretation takes the ruling of being marfu'ah right so Ibn Hajar is now saying this hadith is, is, is marfu'ah meaning that this is ascribable to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa because it's connected to those, to those other hadiths okay now that this is clear what, 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 is, what, is, what is being pointed to here 
Right. These camels have a disease of polydipsy, which the pagan Arabs used to believe that if you smell the feces or smell the urine or smell the odor of this camel, right, which has this disease of, of, of thirst, then you are also going to catch, you're going to catch from the, from the camel. And Abdullah bin Umar, what did he say? Right, when he was told that there's a defect in these camels, what did he say? When the camels were going to be taken, he said, leave them. Radina, we are pleased with the qadha, the judgment of the Messenger of Allah. La adwa, there is no contagion. Right? This does not leave any ambiguity as to the meaning that was intended by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? Ibn Umar is not fearing alleged contagion from these camels because he is pleased with the qadha of the Messenger of Allah. Right? So look at the wording. This is the qadha. This is the judgment of the Messenger of Allah. There is no, there is no contagion. So he accepted the camels. Right? Not only do we have this, we also have what is established from Umar bin al-Khattab himself, radiallahu anhu, that he used to take the vessel from which Mu'ayqib, who was his treasurer, the treasurer, who was a man who was suffering from leprosy, and he would give Mu'ayqib to drink from the vessel, like this, then he would take it from Mu'ayqib and he would drink in exactly the same spot, and he would do so in order to repel and remove any notion any idea or concept of contagion entering into his mind, right? So that he could believe wholeheartedly in what the messenger said. La adwa, la yu'di shay'un shay'a, right? As for that hadith about Umar going to Sham and hearing of the plague and whatever, there's no proof in that for contagion whatsoever, right? In, in, in the view of the scholars who negate contagion, right? That, that, that hadith has, there's nothing in that hadith that has anything to do with contagion. What that hadith means, in fact there are many meanings, uh, and because this is not a topic on contagion itself, it's a topic on following evidence, right? So I can't deal with all the detailed issues. But basically, what that hadith means, I'll give you two examples, right? Imagine there's a house that's burning on fire. Yes? There's a house burning on fire. In that house is Abdullah, Zaid, and Khalid. Okay, right. Now, what's the reason you stay out of that house? You avoid that house. What are you thinking? Are you thinking, I better not enter that house because Abdullah might transmit his burning to me. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, better not enter the house because Khalid, who's in there burning, is going to transmit his burning to me because burning is contagious. Are you thinking like that? No. Yes or no? No. no? no. Or are you thinking, oh my gosh, that, that house, astaghfirullah, afwan, you know, I shouldn't say that, that, that word. But I say, you know, subhanAllah, I better not enter that, I better not enter that house because I'll be engulfed by the fire. Is that what you're thinking? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, yes right? Second example, there's a river 
which is torrid, it's like very fast, and you've got to cross the river. Otherwise, you have to walk five miles that way to cross, you know, to find a way. And so you see people crossing the river, and they end up drowning. Right? So there's Abdullah, Zaid, and Khalid again. Right? Always doing the wrong things, right? Abdullah and Khalid. So they, they're into the river, and they, they're drowning, whatever. So you're thinking, right, right, should I advance to that river or not? What are you thinking now? Are you thinking, I better not advance to the river because, you know, poor Khalid there, he might transmit his drowning to me. Is that what you're thinking? Yes or no? No. Are you thinking, I better not go to in the river because the, 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 the river and the, the, the speed and the whatever is going to drown me? Is that what you're thinking? Okay, right. I'm sure, I'm sure you can accept that Umar bin al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, the second khalifa, right, has enough intelligence to know the difference between these two things. Yes or no? Yes or no? Is Ibn Umar, uh, sorry, is Abdullah bin Umar, the very one, the very same one, who's taking the vessel from Mu'iqib, who's drunk it, and he's a leper, and putting it on his lips. Right? Because he wants to repel the notion from his mind of contagion. Are you trying to say that he doesn't know the difference between these two things? I better not enter the, the fire in case Abdullah transmits his fire to me. I better not go into the water in case Abdullah transmits his drowning to me. Or is it, I keep away from the places of harm. I keep away from the places of Right? Which of the two is it? So when you hear that an illness, an outbreak of an illness has happened in a place, that illness has happened because of some issues happening in that place, right? You know, whatever it might be, there could, you know, there could be, you know, uh, uh, toxicity in the air, there's like a flood which happened, and there's things happening, and people are be, be, being engulfed by, by those factors as a result of which they have fallen ill. So what do you do? Oh, well, keep away from it. That's the meaning. Right? And there are, in fact, there are other meanings as well. There are levels of meanings to this hadith. But this is, this is not, the, uh, this, this is not the, the discussion. The discussion is evidence. Evidence, right? So when you come across and you, you, you have the evidence from Abdullah bin Umar, which is which Ibn Hajar you know, speaks of it in the way that he has, then there's little room for, for argument here, right? Now the issue is, well, those other texts, what do those other texts, what do they really mean in that case then? So why did the messenger say, flee from the leper as you would from a lion? And why did he say, keep the sick camels away from the healthy camels? Why, why did he say that then, right? And the answer is very simple. It's very simple. Because the messenger of Allah, he, it's a bit like this. The Messenger of Allah, he has prohibited alcohol, don't drink alcohol, and he's also prohibited all the ways and avenues that lead you to being put to trial with alcohol, right? So he said, don't sit at the table where alcohol is being served, right? You, you keep away from it so that you're not tempted and put to trial by it, right? Similarly, he prohibited zina. Fornication. 
And he also prohibited all the ways and means that would potentially lead you to commit zina. Don't be alone with a, with a non-mahram woman. Don't be alone with a foreign woman, right? Don't mix and mix, right? This is the same thing. Do not believe in the notion of contagion because it doesn't exist. Everything is by Allah's decree. Allah creates disease instances separately for each individual by bringing all the factors to him. That's why some people become ill, other people do not become ill, right? However, to prevent you and protect you from falling into the notion of contagion, just keep away from the leper. Don't mix with a leper. Because you're going to put yourself to trial. If you sit with a leper and then you go home and think, oh, am I going to fall in, not fall in, or when I'm going to get leprosy and this or whatever. And I with, why put yourself to these uh, doubts and whispers and punish yourself like this? Why do that? Right? This is the intent of the Messenger of Allah in these texts. Right? And this is what the scholars have, have basically explained. So, otherwise, leprosy, it's agreed upon today that leprosy is not ordinarily contagious right you can actually go go to the cdc website you can go to all these websites that i could even read to you right now that you know you cannot get leprosy by intercourse you you, you cannot pass on leprosy by by giving birth you cannot give leprosy by routine uh, contact touching kissing hugging this whatever it you know and even admit we don't really know what's actually what's causing you know what, what how leprosy spreads it's, it's very clear Leprosy is basically a compromise of internal organs uh, as a real, for, for other factors, right? For other factors. Um, it's something internal. It's, not, it's not, not, not contagious, right? This is why leprosy has disappeared off the face of this earth when all of these social and, and changes were made in the way that people live, right? Clean water, better housing better sanitation. Uh, the only places where leprosy today is concentrated is in certain places in India and in some other places, right? And the reason for that is very clear. These people are drinking uh, dirty water. They are, you know, maybe they are celebrating their Diwali with all these dyes and toxic things and smelling them and breathing them and that compromises the internal organs, the liver and other things like that. Right, which then affects other, systemically, it affects other things like, like the skin and things like that, right? Right, so leprosy is not contagious, right? And that's what the current, what they are currently saying, that you need long, sustained, long-time contact. That's what they say, even though that's not, that's not even true. That's not even true, right? So, so not only, see, even the, the science supports the correct and true science supports this interpretation, right? Likewise, the messenger said to the camel owner, don't mix the sick camels with the healthy camels for the very same reason, right? That if you graze your camels in the same place as the, the man with sick camels and they fall ill, you're going to start believing in the notion of contagion when really it could have been just the environmental factors as some of the scholars explain, like Al-Khattabi and others. Right? You're drinking the same water, eating the same herb, herbage or pasture, and that's what was the cause of the illness, and then you blame it on contagion. And then also, you start having disputes and arguments, well, you made my camels ill, and this or whatever. To avoid all of that, just don't let the sick camels graze with healthy camels. This is more to do with feelings and wrong beliefs. 
got nothing to do with fear of an illness. Right? Because if it's to do with fear of an illness, you are promoting the very superstition and the very omen that the messenger came to put an end to. Right? So, uh, the point being behind, the point being behind all of this, that here is, here is textual evidence from a Sahabi that you cannot argue with. You can't argue with this. And you can't argue with the fact that Aisha anha used to have lepers and mix with lepers and eat with lepers as did Abu Bakr, as did numerous other of the companions. And we don't know anyone from them that they fled from a leper as they would from a lion because that's not the actual meaning. Right? The messenger, knowing that some people are strong in their tawheed, other people are weak in their tawheed. So for the weak people who were given to their imaginations, thoughts, whatever, or who might, might be weak in knowledge, he said, just keep away, flee. Keep away from the leper as you would from a lion. To protect them from their whisperings of their own minds so they don't become prone to, firstly, believing in the notion of contagion, and secondly, making themselves become ill. Because this itself is a true and real effect. Your mind can make you become ill. And the scholars have spoken about this, Al-Qurtubi and others, when they speak about this hadith of leprosy. Right? That the mind, it, you know, and, and it can make the soul to be disturbed and it can end up making, the, you, you get the very illness that, 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 that you feel. Right? And this is confirmed today. They call it the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect. Right? And this means that, you know, uh, fear, uh, stress, imagination, whatever, it can actually make you ill. It can actually make you ill. Right? So, to put an end to all of this, the messenger, you know, he uh, advised to keep away from the leper, um, you know, don't go to a land of an outbreak, uh, don't mix healthy camels with sick camels, to protect the people from being victim to making these observational errors, right? Confusing coincidence with causation. And you know, becoming victim to their own fears and also saying things which are statements where you are, uh, uh, you know, to do with other, right? Well, if, I, if I hadn't gone there, then I wouldn't have fallen ill. To, to, to stop you making these types of statements, right? So there's multiple wisdoms behind these particular texts which on the surface appear to affirm contagion but, but they are not, right? It is more a case of the messenger prohibiting something and prohibiting all the things that lead to that thing. Okay, so this is from a textual point of view. What is evidence? Allah said, the messenger said, the Sahaba said. This is what we know from the, from the Sahaba, from Abdullah bin Umar, from Umar bin al-Khattab, right? After that, After that, there's also the evidence, actual experimental evidence. Now, this is real experimental evidence, right? This is, this is true and genuine science. We're not talking about the wizardry and the pseudoscience and the make-believe and the fraud that is done today, right, by certain techniques. I won't go into that. But real Genuine science, right? This debate was taking place in the early 20th century um, about, you know, 
Is the flu contagious? Can we transmit the flu or not? And hundreds of experiments were done in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s that you have never ever heard of in your biology class. That you've never heard of in your biology class. That you, you'll never find in an A-level biology book. That you'll never find in your microbiology class. That you'll never find even as a PhD. You'll go through all of that and you'll never hear of it. Just like you could be a physicist and uh, you know anything to do with physics and uh, astronomy, whatever. And you can go through the whole system Standard school, A-levels, degree, you know, you could do a PhD, a postdoc, whatever, and through the whole of your life, you will never ever hear of those experiments done in the 19th century, right, that proved the earth is not moving. From 1810 to 1887, a whole range of experiments, you know, uh, you will never hear of them. Despite you being a PhD in physics or whatever it might be. Right? Because you've been taught a fake history and a fake science. Right? That the earth is not moving. There's no evidence that the earth is moving. It cannot be proven that the earth is moving. The earth is actually still. But you've never heard of that. Why haven't you heard of that? Just in the same way you have never heard of all these hundreds of experiments where they try to transmit the flu from one individual to another using all sorts of ways and means. And this was at the time when there was a, a raging debate about, you know, uh, germs, do they cause disease or not cause disease? You know, there's a raging debate. And these people, the people like Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch and, you know, uh, whoever followed these fraudsters and liars and charlatans, in their theories and ideas, right, they were refuted. They were already demolished and finished and refuted for their, for their lies and for their false claims. And in fact, there is a, a researcher uh, who published uh, a thesis, or it's actually published by one of the universities in America. And uh, some of the descendants of Louis Pasteur, they had his diaries, right? And what Louis Pasteur was doing, he kept two sets of diaries. One in which he was faking the results of his experiments to make it look as if a virus is causing the disease and his snake oil injection is curing the disease. And then the other diaries where he's actually writing the truth. Right? And so one of his descendants having a conscience, he realized, hold on, this, you know, I, I. so then he gave them to this man, to this uh, professor. And as a result of extensive, you know, there was this actual thesis published and Louis Pasteur is exposed as a fraudster, a charlatan, and a liar. Right? But the whole notion germ theory of disease is built upon this man. Right? Anyway, anyhow, so these experiments I'm going to read to you. This is uh, experiments done uh, 1919. This is the actual published paper from 1919. Public health reports, right? This is just, I'm going to give you one example. I could give you many, many examples, right? They took healthy men from, the, this is done by the Navy, the American Navy. They took healthy men, perfectly healthy men, and they took men who had uh, influenza, right? And so basically, to cut a long story short, 
They did everything possible, right? So they had, so they had each man come, and they had a, a dormitory with all the sick people with influenza. So they said to each man, go to that man, go right next to him, shake his hand, uh, speak right in front of him, breathe, exchange breathing, then go to the next bed, then go to the next bed, go to the next bed, right? To see if they could transmit the flu. Absolutely nothing happened. Then what they did, they took the secretions of the sick man from the throat and nasal, they made it into a solution, and then they sprayed it into the, these volunteers, up the nose, in the eyes, in the, whatever. Absolutely nothing happened. Then they made the, the sick people to actually cough directly into the open mouth of the healthy people. Absolutely nothing happened. Then they even took the blood right, of the sick people with flu and injected like 5 mil, 10 mil, quite a lot of blood into the veins of the healthy people. Absolutely nothing happened. Right? And so this man, this man and his team, uh, Rosenau, uh, I, I'm reading here directly, none of the volunteers showed any uh, reaction following inoculation. Um, the, uh, the presumably the non-immune volunteers were inoculated with the same negative results. Uh, in no instance was an attack of influenza produced in any one of the subjects. This is after trying different methods. Um, none of these volunteers developed any symptoms of influenza following this experiment. Um, none of the men suspected, subject, subjected to these inoculations developed any incidence of illness. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And uh, at the end of it, you know... Uh, he basically says, we entered these experiments, um, you know, we, we don't really know what's going on. You know, we, we don't really know what's going on. The point being, this is just one example. See, this is, this is a genuine experiment, right? This is, this is something where you can believe the actual results because you are dealing with, with real things, right? This was happening in 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. And there's a battle between the, the, the germ theorists and the other people who had the correct idea about disease, right? The right idea about disease. The disease that was known in every civilization, what its causes are, right? There was a battle taking place. By the 1950s, this was completely falsified, this notion or this idea of viruses causing disease, because they could not prove it in genuine, real, you know, actual scientific experiments that meet the standards of the scientific method, right? So after 1950s, instead what these people did, they brought on the wizardry, the magic, the trickery, the deception, and, and tricks with, with experiments, that really it's like, it's like a slate of hand trick. And I won't go into all of that, that's a whole topic in itself. The point being, the point that I'm making to you here, is that the statement of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right, as you've seen, as understood by Ibn Umar and Umar and others from the Sahaba, that is textual proof. And I can also give you actual genuine scientific proof 
that no disease is contagious. And every attempt, every genuine attempt to try and transmit an alleged disease, it does not work, right? When, when, you, when, you, when you put in controls, right? The issue of controls is very important. Let me, let me give an example. Imagine, okay, imagine I take some secretions from a sick person with the cold or the flu and then I put it in an injection and I put it into a man and that man becomes ill, right? Even though we know that this didn't happen, right? And he becomes ill. How do I know that it's merely the injection of fluid that caused it rather than something in the fluid that caused it? How do I know that, right? I've, I've got to put a control. I have to do a control experiment, right? So I have to now take a saline solution or I have to take some other solution and then the sample from, from the, the man or something, and then I inject it, for example, inject them both directly into the liver or directly into the head or whatever it might be and see if both of them produce the same result right because it could be the it could be the fact that i'm just injecting the fluid in itself which is causing the effect not that there's anything specific allegedly in in the fluid sound right so there have to be controls in experiments for them to be valid right and this is the biggest fraud that is committed today by the virologists, right? There is no control in the experiments and there never has been from the 1950s, right? And they, 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 they have no proof whatsoever that there's any virus that's causing the alleged disease. This is a whole topic in itself. And just like if I was to say to you, uh, does an Ash'ari or a Maturidi have any proof anywhere for the ta'wil of any of the attributes of Allah? Would he be able to bring any proof? I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Is there any proof that any of the Salaf, any of the Sahaba made the ta'wil of a single attribute? Is there any proof? Is there any proof? No. Yes or no? no. How do we know that? Because we know what they said. How do we know that? Is there any proof? There's no proof. So we can't because over centuries and centuries of comprehensively looking at all the narrations and texts, it's clear that there is nothing which meets the standard of proof to show that any of the Salaf made ta'wil of any of the is that, is that so or not? Is that established or not? No. Yes or no? no. Yes. Yeah. Does a person who celebrates the birthday of the Messenger of Allah have any proof for that? No. Now, how do we know that? Yeah, but he brings texts. They bring loads of texts. They bring texts from the Quran. Why is that not a proof? False interpretation. Huh? False interpretation. There's hadith that they bring. They bring the action of scholars, statements of scholars. How can they all be wrong? How can they all be wrong? Huh? Because what they're bringing, what they're bringing. It's because what they are bringing does not count as actual evidence. See, what is evidence in the Sharia, in the texts? What is evidence in a science? Do you understand? Right? What counts as actual evidence? The scientific method. Right? That scientific method is gone in modern science. It used to be there. It's not there anymore. 
right? The actual scientific method, right? So the point that I'm making is just like we can say to an Asherin Maturidi, there is zero proof for the ta'wil of any attribute from the Sahaba, so if you don't have anything. Yes, you'll bring things. You'll bring things, oh, Imam Ahmed made ta'wil of this, Imam Malik made ta'wil of this, and all of it is, is incorrect narrations or distortions or wrong interpretations. That's all you've got. Similarly, there is no proof whatsoever for celebrating the Mawlid, even though you're going to find thousands, if not millions of people coming, oh, but all these great scholars said so-and-so, and there's this hadith and that hadith and this verse and that verse and whatever, and, you know, they, and they'll bring you what, what they think to be evidence. In exactly the same way I'll tell you, there is no such thing as viral contagion, there's no such thing as a virus causing a disease. This is from the frauds and lies of these, of, of, of these germ theorists. You will not find any genuine scientific evidence, and I'll give you 30 years to go and bring some. You will not. You will not be able to fight this. You will not be able to oppose this. Because the evidence is already established and conclusive. Right? And all that's happening in virology is outright fraud ever since the 1950s. And I'm going to give you an example and a parable of what they're basically doing. Right? Sometimes these things are so complex that you can't figure out, okay, basically what are they really doing? What's, what's actually going on here? And I'll explain to you what's happening. Right? This is what the whole science is actually built upon. So imagine... Imagine every time you have a fire, you find this charcoal black remains. Yes, is that true or not? Don't you find every time there's a fire, you find this charcoal left? Right? Yes? So, imagine someone comes along and says, every time there's a fire, I'm finding this, this charcoal and this black, you know, whatever. I think that's what caused the fire. Yes? Because every time I see it, this, this stuff is always there. Yes? Okay. So now, he's going to do an experiment to prove that this charcoal is what's causing the fire. So he takes this black remains and he takes it and he's going to now, he's going to set up his experiment. So he goes and he basically... Uh, you know, uh, he goes to like another house, and in the house he basically uh, sticks a whole load of like cardboard and newspapers, and then he, you know, goes and gets some gasoline, gets some petrol from the from the petrol station, and he pours it all over, whatever, and then he takes this black charcoal thing that he that he thinks is the cause of the fire. He then puts it in, you know, he puts it into the house. And to see that if the charcoal is going to create the fire. Right? So then, you know, he lights, throws a match into the house. And the house all burns. And now there's lots of charcoal. Now there's even more charcoal and black remains and dust. And he says, ah, there you go. See? You see? The charcoal multiplied and created the fire. This is evidence that the charcoal is what caused the fire. Right? And then they will do like a chemical analysis of the charcoal and this and bring, you know, whatever, whatever, yeah. That basically is the basis of the science 
of, sorry, not the science, the fraud of virology. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing, right? What they're doing is, a sick person, when you are sick with a cold or a flu, your body is eliminating debris, which is, which is dead, you know, uh, whatever. Your body is expelling it from, it's intelligently doing so, right? So you are expelling damaged linings, damaged tissues, and this is the case in all things what they call a viral illness, right? Whenever they say viral, the easy way to see through their falsehood is just to interpret as dead, broken down debris from cells which have been malnourished or toxic, right? That's what it is. Your body is, like for example, in, in liver hepatitis. There's been damage done to your liver somehow. A part of your liver has basically, the tissue has, is dead. So the body now is intelligently, this is Allah has put this into the body, is breaking that part down, right, through the use of other proteins, and chopping it into pieces, and then it's putting it in through the, the, the blood supply to eventually eliminate that from the body. This process might take weeks or whatever, and that's why you can, you can do tests to find, oh, you know, uh, see, this is where they're really getting deceived, you see, because th they've come to the body with incorrect theories and incorrect ideas. And when they use the diagnostics or the tools, right, they, they are making wrong interpretations. So what's happening is the body is effectively eliminating this stuff. You can now come, come and start doing testing for sequences or whatever and see, oh yes, this, this person, uh, there's viral shedding going on. They call it a virus, but it's not. It's, it's the dead, broken debris which the body has chopped into pieces in small amounts and prepared for expulsion through numerous routes. That might be through uh, expiration, you know, uh, through, uh, sorry, what you call it? Uh, uh, what you call it? No, there's another name for it. Perspiration, uh, as, as you know, breathing, uh, through the urine, through the feces. This is what's happening, and over a period of time, eventually the body will, 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 will clear that, right? It's, it's doing something intelligently uh, in the way that is, that, that is best. And different illnesses are really... Uh, the body's response to something, right? This is the same with uh, chicken pox and things like that. It's expelling something, you know, through, through the easiest route, which is the skin. So what they do is that they, they take this material from a person and they say, we are going to prove that there's a virus in there. So what they do is they take some monkey kidney cells Think about it. What's the easiest way of proving that there's something that's causing disease? You take it and then you spray it in some person's mouth and nose, just like the real genuine. These are real genuine experiments. Why don't they do that anymore? Right? Why, why don't they do that anymore? Because this is a real. If you wanted to prove this guy's got the flu, it's contagious, so let's prove it. Let's take his secretions. Right? Let's get like 10 mil. Let's just now dilute it and we've got like, you know. Uh, you know, one mil each, right, of a hundred mil. And let's take a hundred people, one by one, let me spray up your nose, in your eye, back of your throat, whatever, and let's see how many people fall ill. This is a genuine experiment, is it not? Yeah? And then you can put controls, you can, you, you can add your control, you can take another hundred people, and you don't tell them, but you say, look, this is, uh, this is a secretion, but actually it's only just water. 
and then you spray them in the eye, in the nose, whatever. So they've got like the placebo basically. This is your control, right? And then you see how many fell ill amongst those hundred, and maybe some of those people might be that they're scared and fearful, thinking they might gonna fall ill because because obviously it's the imagination playing now, right? Maybe you might get five or so people just fall ill. Right? So you have to have the control. And then in this side over here where you've actually put the actual secretions, then you see okay, how many of them actually fell ill, if if any. Right? This is what you call a genuine scientific experiment that deals in actual realities, right? This is what already happened in the early part of the 19th century and everything failed to, to prove this you know, viral contagion nonsense, right? This is when, in 1954, with this experiment, Peebles and Enders, right, they came up with this fabrication or this technique which the whole of virology is built upon, right? This is what they do. They'll take a sample from you, right? They'll choose a cell culture, and they deliberately choose monkey kidney cells. They do not choose human cells. They choose monkey kidney cells because it's part of the scam. It's part of the fraud because monkey kidney cells are very easily um, harmed, right, and distorted by the things they're going to add to the solution, right? So they have this monkey kidney cells, and then they take this serum from a calf, which they kill while it's still in the womb of a cow, and they take the serum from the heart of that cow, and it's called, it's called fetal bovine serum, FBS. So they take that, and this they give to the monkey kidney cells to keep them alive. So you have to keep them alive, right? Right? So you've got monkey kidney genetic material. Now you've added genetic material from the bovine, from the cow as well. Right? Then they put the sample they took from you, the sick person, right, where the, allegedly there's a virus, and then they put it in this mixture, right? Put it in this mixture. Then they add some antibiotics, very harsh, powerful antibiotics to the mixture as well, right? And then they leave it for like a week, whatever, 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 yeah? Then they come back and they think, okay, let's take these cells and look at them under the microscope. Have they become distorted? Have they... You know, is there any cytopathic effect, right? And, you know, if there's distortion in the cells, they say, see, that's evidence that the virus, the virus was there. But is this really evidence? Right, and then, then they take a um, sample and they do genetic sequencing, genetic sequencing, right? And the sequencing, there's human tissue in there, there's human cells in there, there's bovine cells in there. There's a monkey kidney cells in there. Then there's a whole load of other things of like, you know, bacteria uh, and fungi and other things or whatever. So that all these sequences that they are claiming to be viruses are absolutely fraudulent. There's no reality to them whatsoever. Right? Because they have never, ever, ever purified and isolated the actual claimed virus directly from the sample of a person. Right? Because they can't do that. Instead, they play this hocus-pocus magic with the, you know, trickery and wizardry with all these culture experiments and they do not do any controls, right? Remember I said controls, you have to have a control because what's creating the effect? Is it the actual 
experimental procedure that's creating the effect? Or, or is it the thing you are adding? Do you understand? Right? What they should be doing is, <clears throat> let's repeat the same experiment, monkey kidney cells, bovine fetal serum, whatever, antibiotics. And this time, we won't add the sample, we'll add just simple distilled water as the solution. And see if the same thing happens. If the same thing happens and the cells become deformed, then it means that it's the actual procedure you are using that's creating the effect. It's the antibiotics you are adding that's actually creating the cytopathic effect, which you are attributing to the virus. Do you understand? My point being, and sorry for going on for so long, but see, this type of fraud and swindle in the worldly sciences it is important for us as Muslims to know these things, right? Because in most instances, it might not matter. Right? In many issues, it might not matter if the kuffar are wrong. You know, it doesn't really impact. But in some issues, there is an impact. And this is one of those issues. This is one of those issues. It has an actual impact on, on Muslims, on their belief, on their conduct, on their behavior, and so on and so forth. So my point being that... We said following evidence. What is evidence? Right? Evidence is the Quran, Sunnah, and the Sahaba. Right? You can't come along and say, oh, so many scholars today, there's almost an ijma' on this issue. It's not an evidence. Just like you can't say Sheikh bin Baz, uh, Sheikh Fawzan, uh, Sheikh Al-Muthaymeen, and a whole host of other contemporary scholars all hold that the tariq of salah is a kafir. The one who abandons the prayers. You, you, can, you can't argue like that. That's not an argument. It's not an argument. Right? And similarly in science, right, there's an actual criteria of what is evidence. What is actual evidence? Right? And we have to apply that there as well. Right? And so that's why in science there is no evidence. You will not find any evidence. And I'm not even going to say inshallah. So I don't need to. Right? This is just like saying water will quench your thirst. Because it will by Allah's decree. I don't need to say inshallah. It will because Allah's created that way. And in the same way, I don't, I don't need to say you know, that inshallah you will not find any evidence that viruses, you know, because you won't. Full stop, you won't. Just like I don't need to say an ash'ari inshallah will not find any evidence that the self made that will. I don't need to say, I don't need to say inshallah. Because they won't find any evidence. So just like a Sufi who celebrates the birthday of the Prophet he will not find any evidence, inshallah, don't say inshallah. Because he's not going to find any evidence. It's a concrete reality. In the same way, you will not find any evidence up until this day. Evidence which meets the standards of the scientific method that proves that there is some kind of pathogenic virus Creating illness. What they are doing is they are making misinterpretations, right? The body is expelling dead, broken down material from itself in an intelligent, predetermined, organized way, put in it by the creator. And this debris that they are detecting, they are claiming to be the cause of the disease, just like the idiot who takes the charcoal and thinks it's the cause of the fire. That's what they're doing. That's their mistake that they're falling into. Right? So you will not find any evidence up until this day. You will not find any evidence that meets the standards of the scientific method. So all of this putting it together, 
And to add one more to this, if, if, the, if, you, if you needed anything more, uh, if, if, if this wasn't enough for you already, there is evidence from conjoined twins, right? Twins that are joined together, right? The spinal cord is different, but the rest of the body is the same. And this evidence, that evidence from these conjoined twins in Russia, there's an actual video of these twins. This is like, this is a picture of two uh, female twins, Masha and Dasha, right? They, they are joined up to there, and then the spines, spinal cords separate, right? And extensive research has been done on these twins. They have the same blood supply. It's one blood supply. One gets measles. The other one doesn't get measles. Why you explain that to me? Explain that to me. One gets one got pneumonia, the other one doesn't get pneumonia. When one is ill, the temperature increases by two degrees, the other one's temperature stays exactly the same. The blood supply is exact the same blood that's circulating in the whole of the body. In fact, because because they grew up to, to, to be quite old, when one of them would drink alcohol and become slightly drunk, the other one wouldn't. Now how is, uh, so, sorry, um, I got that wrong. Uh, I'm not sure whether, sorry, I've got that wrong. I think, I think they would both be affected, if I'm not mistaken, because the blood supply, sorry, yes, that's right. I don't want to misquote. They would both be, be affected because the blood supply is the same. However, with illness, with measles, with pneumonia, with flus, one would become ill, the other one wouldn't become ill. Now you explain that to me if you believe that there's some virus circulating causing the... Explain that. You can't explain that. You can't explain that. This is conclusive. This is actual evidence. Do you understand? So we need to distinguish just like... What is evidence in the lecture that we went through with Sheikh Obeid? What is evidence? Is it all the scholars that are agreed upon in today? Is that evidence? This scholar said, that scholar said? Or is it Allah said, the Messenger said, and the understanding of, of, of the Sahab? Is that evidence? Do you understand? So he applied that in the issue of Tariq salah Hadith of the Messenger. Right? Apply that likewise, he can apply this to this issue as well. Right? Are you more knowledgeable or is Abdullah bin Umar more knowledgeable? Who's more knowledgeable? Who has a better understanding? What have we been commanded to follow? The understanding of the Sahaba? Right? Do you understand? What is evidence? That's the first thing. In religion. And secondly, what is evidence in science? What is actual evidence? And unfortunately, we as Muslims, we have been deceived and tricked because by and large, we are taking our knowledge, our sciences from the kuffar, going to their institutions, doing our degrees, PhDs, whatever. We're picking up these ideas, right? And we don't know whether, are they really based upon the scientific method or not? No one, I don't know of any Muslim who's going, or any Muslim nation, government, who's saying, okay, you know what? Let's go back and check, is what Louis Pasteur, what he claimed, is it actually correct? Let's do our own experiments to check whether the theory is, no one's doing that. Rather, all we are seeing is Muslims being sent to America, to Canada, to Germany, to whatever, pick up the ideas, come back and... No. Right? And this is one of the things that we have been put to trial with. Right? As a result of which, obviously, you know, we, we uh, are led to things which are, which are harmful and not, not beneficial. And uh, so anyhow, 
So anyway, yeah, the issue of, of the twins. There's another piece of evidence if you wanted any more, any more evidence, right? So I hope you understand the point that I am making here on the back of, on the back of what, uh, what Sheikh obeyed. We are followers of evidence. Yes, we are followers of Dalil. And this is what distinguishes us as being people of the Sunnah and the Jama'ah. And obviously, we respect the other, like, you know, if, if uh, you, know, you hold that the Tariq salah is not a disbeliever, we respect the other view. You, you can have that other view, no problem. You know, we can't make this an issue of, you know, like, like uh, as, as the Haddadiyya do, you know, they accuse you of being a Murji because you don't make taqfir of the Tariq salah. No, we, this, this, this is wrong. This is wrong. You can't do that. Just like you can't say, oh, you're opposing the alleged consensus of all the contemporary scholars on contagion. Well, you can't say that. And even worse than that, you can't say that, you know, this is, this is a zahiri viewpoint, a literalist viewpoint to negate contagion. Was Ibn Umar a zahiri? Are you going to say about Ibn Umar he was a zahiri, a literalist? Are you going to say that about Umar bin al-Khattab, who acted upon the hadith of the Messenger by, by deliberately drinking from the same place as Mu'ayyib? Was he a was he a zahiri? You can't make the, you can't make these you can't make these accusations. Nor can you say that if you consider those scholars who affirm contagion to be in error, that you are somehow you know you are following the way of Amr bin Ubaid al Mu'tazili. You can't say that either, because this has been said by the imams of the Salaf who were the ones who actually said this. Ibn Khuzaymah said that, and even stronger. Abu Ubaid al-Qasim bin Salam said that anyone who claims that these hadiths are to do with fearing a disease, he's promoting omens. They are the ones who said that, right? So you can't, you can't make these types of accusations on, the, on, on, on this issue, right? So this is an important issue and I hope maybe it's clarified uh, some of the issues in relation to this. And Allah knows best. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.